Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the World of Ink Network, founded in 2011 by Virginia Grenier and Marsha Cook. Their vision was to start a radio show that helped writers reach their dreams. The World of Ink has a wonderful group of hosts who are dedicated to delivering shows to entertain and inspire listeners. The World of Ink Network shares resources that introduce tips, products, and services to help strengthen, support, and challenge those who love writing and the written word. Their hope is to bring not only authors, illustrators, and publishers together, but screenwriters, directors, and producers. New to the network will be a variety of special shows, bringing not only entertaining shows, but informative discussions on timely subjects. To learn more about us, go to www.worldofinknetwork.com or visit us on our Facebook and Twitter pages. Thank you for your support and enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. It's Marsha Casper-Cook, and um, it's an afternoon again. I've been doing most of the shows in the afternoon lately because it's kind of fun in the afternoon. I think it's a good time. Uh, three, I'm 3 Central in Chicago. But all right, today we have uh, one of our returning guests, at, uh, Jack Remick, who always brings wonderful people to the show. And I've met so many people that Jack has introduced me to, and we have Nicole Disney today, and it's going to be a really fun show. They're going to talk about... Um, what they each do, but uh, right now I'm just going to talk about a few little things. Um, I think you might have noticed that some of our uh, the promo goes in with Michigan Avenue Media and World of Ink. Uh, as I told people, I think in a few weeks ago, that Virginia is not doing shows anymore, so uh, Michigan Avenue Media was my half of the World of Ink, so I'm promoing it both ways, but it's still the same show. And um, and then we, I've added also on my website, you can just, you know, contact Marsha Casper-Cook or um, Michigan Avenue Media if you want to be a guest. And uh, we did that promo event with um, the International, which was really, really fun. And I think she's going to do it next year. Um, now I actually know what the promo wa- was. Uh, it's kind of, they've had it for years, but I think they do different workshops and people go throughout the whole day and listen to different workshops. And a lot of people were interested in podcasts and they were interested also in the different writing. So next year I'll promote it more than I did this year because I really didn't exactly know what it was, but I do think it's very interesting because it lasts the entire day. And the woman that runs it, Joe Lindell, she's like in Italy, so it's, uh, on a whole different uh, international s- scale and time-wise also. And so um, then we'll start our show right now. But uh, next week uh, we do have a show, though, and it's back to Tuesday at um, 3 p.m. Uh, right now this time. And the week after that it will be on 2. And then I'm not, I think I'm going to take a few weeks off because I want to finish writing a book. But as we all know, oh, we do have a show in June, too. On, from Mikey Brooks, who does uh, a lot of my promo banners and some of my covers and the drawings, he is an uh, illustrator. He's wonderful and a writer, and he's coming on. He has five children at home that he takes care of, and his wife goes to a different job, so he's home with the kids. So we're going to have a show about how that works out for him. And um, he's got to go. It's a, five young kids, like under 10. So 
I don't know how he does it, but so he's going to come on the show in a couple weeks. And after that, I think I'll take a few weeks off. But right now, Jack, how are you? Um, Can you hear me, Marsha? Yes, I can. Yep. I'm so glad you came on again. And I want you to tell everybody a little bit about yourself, and then we'll talk. Uh, then we'll let Nicole come out and tell us what she does. Okay. All right. As you know, I like to talk about myself, so I don't have any trouble <laughs> there. Uh, I'm, I'm a novelist, a short story writer, a poet. Um, I've done a little playwriting and screenwriting and stuff like that. Um, I'm just finishing a novel called Citadel. Uh, a while back, I finished uh, something I call the California Quartet, which is for Connected novels intertwine, but they're not necessarily sequential. They're called uh, The Deification, Valley Boy, The Book of Changes, and Trio of Lost Souls. Um, I've also written something called Gabriella and the Widow, which is kind of an interesting book. And before that, I did Blood, which uh, I think is, you know, sort of an out-there novel. I have a book of poems called Satori. I'm in, anthologized in a bunch of magazines and got a couple of essays coming out in some um, something called Raven Chronicles. I've been writing a series called What Do I Know? Wisdom in the 21st Century. And as I set out to work on those, I realized I really didn't know anything. So what now, was you I know, going to write about? You actually about? know a lot. You actually know a lot. I've learned a lot in all these years knowing yeah. you. Yeah, you know, you forgot to all you mentioned. You have to mention your um, that your your whole Jack and Bob's. Say whole, again, Marcia. Your whole the whole uh, thing you have your whole website with, with Jack and Bob. Oh, all your, oh, that information. well, you know, this is this is one of the things that, like a lot of writers, I have a little bit of a problem with self promotion. Yeah. I, I, for example, I find myself sometimes even forgetting the names of the characters in my novels. I, I have well, that's because you have new ones. So, <laughs> you have new uh, ones. I keep, you know, I keep doing that. So what I did this time is I took an old website from Coffee Town Press and got a real good web designer to help me set it up again, so I could get back and start pushing it. Uh, the weekend, uh, uh, Bob and Jack's writing blog is the one I think you're talking about. Yes, absolutely. That's the one yes, where we have a. It's a huge amount. Well, put it this way. It's, it's a lot Bob of Ray so much. Did, oh, it's we so good. Teaching. Yeah, we just put everything we knew about writing on that website. And it's been remodeled and redone, so the information is available there and for writers who want to check it out. Uh, so that about sums me up. Well, because that one you give a lot of information, and that's really helpful to a lot of writers. You know, it really is. Well, I think that website, some, yeah. yeah, that website is sort of a, you know, a touchstone for a lot of writers. I have a yeah. good friend named Tony Olivier who Bob and I met when we were teaching classes up at the Surrey International Writers Conference in Vancouver. And he spent a long time working from stuff on the website and recently just signed a contract with Panda Moon Books to do three of his novels. So I oh, guess good. that discipline does pay off. So I'm really happy no, for Tony, and I'm really <laughs> happy that he would use the material on the website. Okay. That, no, it's very good. Okay, no, yeah, 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 because people, you know, yeah, self-promotion is hard. Okay, let's introduce Nicole. How are you? I'm good. I'm glad, glad to be on. You came back from a – you want to tell everybody what you're, you know, how, what you write and just a little bit about yourself. 
Sure, yeah. I uh, I have a pretty wide range of interests as well uh, as far as what I write. I started with literary fiction and uh, kind of moved more into contemporary LGBT writing. But uh, my first novel came out in 2013. It was called Dissonance in A Minor. And that was kind of right in between the two. It was literary fiction but with lesbian characters. And uh, then I moved on to Hers to Protect. That's my novel that I was just promoting in the U.K., and uh, that one's a thriller and a romance. And that one was published with Bold Strokes Books, who has just been insanely good to me. And they're going to be putting out my next book as well, which is called Secrets on the Clock. That's a romance. And uh, just now I'm starting to work on a new project, going back to literary fiction. It's called Of Liquid Amber. And uh, also kind of dabbling in short stories recently. I'm going to be going out to New York in August for the Writer's Digest conference because uh, I won their short, short fiction contest. So that's a Terrific. short story that kind of borders on almost flash fiction. So kind of all over the place as well. That's great. You also, you have others. Yeah, I, I looked up your bio. I mean, you do a lot of different things also to help your writing. You know, you've been mm-hmm. a, a, a dispatcher. And things like that, which yeah. really helps in writing. Oh my God, martial arts—you have a lot of things going on <laughs> to help you get good yeah. characters. Absolutely, yeah. They all—they all find their way into my writing, and I think writing—we they say write what you know, but I think that happens kind of naturally because we all have different topics and and subjects that just catch our interest, and we we kind of pursue them in our normal lives, and yeah. then they find their way into our literature as well. I think that's true. I think it's very true. All right, so like all three of us, we can, you know, as I said before we get on the show, anybody that wants to ask each other a question, feel free, you know, so it'll be more of a round-robin discussion. So, because we're not in the same room, so you could actually, you know, you might have a question I don't know you have, so feel free. Okay, Marcia, um, I, have, I have a question. I have a I'm question sure you do. I know you do. I know you do. <laughs> you mentioned that you were, you were promoting your book in the U.K., uh, how did that come about? What was it, and yeah. how did you get that to happen? Uh, well, I'm with Bold Strokes Books now, and they were just very good to me to offer to have me go out to that festival, even though it actually takes place before my publication date, because uh, Hearst to Protect isn't even actually available widely until June 1st. But it was their festival was close enough to my release date that they offered to do an early print of the book so I could come out and showcase it and and be a part of that event. So they've been incredibly supportive. I could not be more grateful to them for, for everything they did. And the event was, was amazing. So it was, it was wonderful to be a part of it. I also put you, Bold Stroke. I also, Jack, let me just say one thing so I don't forget. Bold Stroke ahead, Books. Yeah. I, I put that on the show page. So if anybody's mm-hmm. interested in looking at the publisher, uh, you could just click the link on, on the page for Blog Talk. So you'll be able to see that um you know the publisher because I I don't know that publisher so it's it's very they seem to be putting you in the right places which is really good. Well, Nicole, yeah, why are. don't they, you tell us something about Bold Stroke Books? Yeah. Yeah, well, it's been wonderful. I kind of I found them because I was just looking through LGBT publishers, which it took me a while to discover that that was even a category, really, and they're just about the biggest one. They are, I believe, actually the biggest LGBT publisher in America. And so naturally, I, I tend to shoot for the stars, so I, I went for them. But I I read their books and loved them, and I just figured that it sounded a little bit like I sound, and they were the kinds of stories that I enjoyed. And that's really 
how you end up finding a publisher is just finding someone that matches you, and they they felt like that to me, so I I went for it. That's great. Wow. I mean, it is, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, it, it's a huge category. I mean, you know, now it it wasn't eight years ago. I don't think I don't know how long they've been around, but it wasn't mm-hmm. because I know that you know sometimes people. But I think you know because I had mentioned to Jack, how did you get you know where did you find your publisher, and then you said you know that when we talked before. And um, I think that people don't want to do that anymore, but I guess that it works, you know, when you just go on the Internet and look for publishers rather than go through an agent. You didn't have an agent, so you just went to them direct, right? Yeah, I did. Um, I I tried to get an agent a couple times in the past but haven't, and then I kind of just over the years figured out that a lot of these publishers do let you just approach them just as an author and especially when it was one of this caliber and I didn't need one, I figured I would just go ahead and go for it then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's really good that, you know, because, you know, I had, I was an agent for 20 some years and 20 years. And, you know, it is hard to, even if you're an agent to place people, you know, and so I, the other day when we were having a show, people are talking about, there's a lot of companies now that are moving on where there, you don't need an agent. Because unfortunately, mm-hmm. it's harder to get an agent than a publisher because the agents, they they have to feel a certain way, but they don't really give the breaks that people need. And so I'm happy yeah. to hear that publishers are taking people without an agent because they're getting the stories that they should. Can you I know, interrupt there on something? Yeah. It seems yeah. to me that does that go hand in hand with the fact that there are it's a lot easier to publish a book these days, so you yeah. don't have to wait for New York to go through the right. process. I mean, I don't know if, uh, if Nicole, uh, how Nicole queried bold strokes for her, you know, hers to protect, but did you do the regular process? Did you make a call? It was, were they more amenable to you in this, in this on what do we call cyberspace writing world, do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, they were pretty approachable. You go to their website, and they've got their submission guidelines. And then, you know, when you're coming at it from that angle as an author, you kind of feel a little bit like it's going to be really hard to break through because they don't know you. You know, you ideally you want to meet someone at a conference or know someone who knows someone. But but it's possible to do it the other way, too. And I just kind of came came at them out of the darkness of cyberspace, and, and it worked out. So it's nice to know that they're really I think a real great person to reading the submission. Yeah, I, I like that. Great. came out of the darkness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's a really good dark. thing. That's very good. You know, because very they're good. missing so much. And, you know, the same thing with uh, screenwriters, you know, you know, you have to go through agents. And, you know, it, it doesn't always work. You know, and some of the best stories, both screenplays and books, are getting missed. And that's really sad because, you know, that's why sometimes we have the same old, same old because they don't want to look for new talent because it is a little more challenging, but still it's worthwhile to get a brand new fresh start. I've I've got a couple more questions I really need to hear uh, Nicole's take on. You know, how did, this is kind of a broad open-ended question and it's kind of a, you know, it's not a very smart question, but how did you get into writing? I noticed that some of your novels focus on music. So were you into heavy metal and a music person, you know, like the protagonist in Dissonance A Minor, or is that something you did research on and came out? How did you get into How did you decide to become a writer? You know, it just kind of happened to me really naturally. The, the bigger journey for me was actually figuring out that that's a career option because writing was something I always <laughs> just did. 
<laughs> and the epiphany for me was not that I like writing. It was that, oh, that's, a, that's something people actually do for a living. So, I mean, yeah. it's just it's something from, from school that I did and I enjoyed. But uh, as far as dissonance in A minor, I mean, I have always definitely had an interest in music. I wanted to be good at it and just wasn't. It just doesn't come to me naturally, but it never stopped me from appreciating it. <laughs> So well, it's creative. You, you got the other form of creative, so you're writing. Exactly. <laughs> the other yeah, exactly. So, I mean, unfortunately, I just wasn't suited to music, but I think writing worked out better than that. And, you know, dissonance was very near and dear to me because it was, it was one of my first ones that, you know, kind of just wrote itself. And a lot of that was because I had a passion for for music, and I just wanted to really kind of see that story through because the wildness, the wild child, the music, the rocker, that's all very romanticized. And I just wanted to follow that story to its completion and and see it in its more raw form. And and where does that actually go? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a very interesting novel. I I happen to have read it. So, you know, I have a sort of an affinity for that style, which is kind of a, well first of all i think you write really well uh, you know let, don't let it go oh, to your you. head you got to work on this book but uh distance in a minor you know is a real special book for a first novel you know i think it's got depth and width and and thickness and there's all kinds of stuff going in there so uh, i'm you know i'm proud to know you nicole did did you know you had this in you i mean like like jack saying with depth i mean see that's what the thing is how you know sometimes we don't know if we're deep or we're not deep it's it's a very hard thing to say sometimes if you're deep if you're a writer that writes deep or you might think you're not as descriptive and people read you and say oh you described it really good we like your books and how do you feel about that how do you feel like when you write you have a a gift, or do you feel like you just write and you're not thinking if you have depth or, and you know, if it's deep enough or well, the characters are good enough? You know, I think I just knew that I wanted to be deep, and that was kind of the first step for me, really, is I just knew that that was the type of writing I wanted to do and that I was going to take a stab at it. And I don't think any of us really know how good we are. We like to think we're good, but you don't really know until you start really working on refining the craft and getting some feedback from, from some other people that know what they're doing. And, uh, and you just kind of take it from there, but it just started right. really with just knowing that I, I wanted to impact people in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You mentioned, yeah. You mentioned craft. Can I, I, I've got all these questions. So I need to ask this writer. You mentioned craft. What do you, <laughs> tell me, tell me what you think craft is. You know, I mean, people talk about it, oh, the craft, this, you go to a craft workshop, blah, blah. But what exactly do you understand by the phrase, you know, practice the craft? Well, I mean, to me, that's just honoring it as an art and knowing that it is something that has technique and knowing how it works and, and really studying that and being a student of that and just, and taking it seriously because as an artist, it's easy to say, I just want to create. And the craft piece is the learning, okay, how do you actually do that, though? How do you tell a compelling story? How do you communicate an idea? And learning craft mm-hmm. is all the skills you need to make your art do what it's doing in your head. Mm-hmm. Do you do a lot so of rewriting? There, do you do a lot of rewriting? I'm going to ask the same question, Marsha. I'm glad you did that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, rewriting. Well, <laughs> 
You know, I, I do a lot of outlining, actually, really. I don't, if I if I do my outlining right, then I don't have to do a lot of rewriting. But I, whether I actually make a lot of changes or not, I will go over it over and over and over again. Because at first I'll look for structure things, and then maybe I'll look for character things, and then I'll go back and look at it more on the line level. So I do a lot of editing, but I don't necessarily do a lot of rewriting if I've, if I've planned correctly. So you plan it, right? Oh, so, so you write a complete mm-hmm. outline or, I mean, very detailed? Yeah. Oh, Marcia, you know what I think? I've seen some of the pictures that Nicole has posted on Facebook, and it seems to me that she pretty much thinks like a screenwriter in that she kind of storyboards her work. Is that yeah. right? You know that term, Nicole? You know the term yeah, storyboard? It is, yeah. 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 It, it is a lot are, you doing, are you doing that consciously or unconsciously? I'm doing that consciously. I, I like to okay. to be able to see it in front of me and kind of work it out spatially. It, it seems to help me. But um, you know, I always leave room for the for the novel to fight back. You know, sometimes I have it right because the sometimes and, you can't make it go a certain way. Do you have that ever when you right. you thought you thought you had a plan and then there's a change of plan? Absolutely, I've thrown away the entire half of a novel. <laughs> yeah. Really? I've chucked. Really? 50,000 words before because it was fighting me. And I, I'm a strong believer that if your novel starts talking to you, you better listen. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's yeah, an interesting that's really, concept. I, I think the, yeah. the novel is talking to you. Tell me, tell me more about that. How does the novel talk to you? Well, you know. You don't have to answer if you'll give away your secrets, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. <laughs> It just, uh, it, it fights me, I guess. I'll have an idea for a scene that's supposed to go a certain way, and then I write it, and I look at it, and it did not go the way it was supposed to go. And then I have to start looking at get why that happened. Is it because I'm trying to make a character do something that they would not do, or is it because it got boring and I just decided to go for something else? You know, why why is it fighting me? And, and it, it'll tell you. It, it'll talk to you. <laughs> Very good. When you Very say good. boring, you mean answer. you get bo- you're bored yeah. with you think when you're writing something that you get bored with it? I can, yeah, sometimes. I'm I'm kind of a pacing nut. I, I like it to, to be moving. I like the conflict to be intense. And if it's yeah. not, I will I will have to stop and, and say this isn't working and, and think of something new. <laughs> Well, see, that's like with a screenwriter. I think I know what Jack is saying too, because as a screenwriter, you don't you only have like ninety to one hundred twenty pages, so you better make every moment count. So, but in a book, mm-hmm. sometimes people do go on and on and on. I don't like that myself because I do get then I'm thinking, oh, they're not they don't care about all of this. But then again, there are people that do care about every last detail. So, um, right. You know, because I think well, people, let's interrupt. You know, let me interrupt that just for a minute, Marcia. You know, yeah. one of the greatest books ever written, of course, is Moby Dick, and some of the story is about Ishmael and Captain Ahab. But ninety percent of the book has details about whaling in it. Yeah. You know, so what, you know can, can you get lost in detail, or does the detail sort of form a cloak around the story, kind of a, a loving cloak? to show that the writer is not just writing about Ahab and Ishmael, but he's, he's writing about a whole world. And, and I think, isn't that detail an aspect of world building? Question mark. <laughs> All well, of yeah, I mean, I, I think it can be, absolutely. <laughs> 
you just have to ask yourself, how is it relevant? And is it, is it necessary? Is it moving the plot forward? Is it giving you character depth? And there are a lot of different reasons that you can include anything, really. You just have to know why it's there, I think. Right, right. Yeah. It's, I, I, you know, to have some sort of a reason so somebody doesn't go, what is that? What does that mean? <laughs> you know, because sometimes you, you can be reading something and you go, what did they mean? And that's really not what you want, I don't think, because you want them to understand everything you meant or have some feeling when they're done that they understand, you know, what your story was. Not, you know, I always have a thing when people talk about, um, you know, they go to book clubs and they talk about the author and they talk about what the author's thinking and doing and whatever. And I, I don't think I even know sometimes. So I'm wondering when people talk about the author, how they can. I, that's why I never liked it because they're talking about an author, and sometimes we don't even know where these things come from. We just write them. Doesn't mean it came from any problem we had or any long lost thought. Maybe do you feel that way sometimes when you're writing? You just write. It's not because it's you writing. It's your story. Your characters are doing it, right? I mean, yeah, well, that's how I look me, at it. Nicole, can I, can I, are, are we approaching the question here of, Nicole mentioned in passing, write what you know, but in, the, in a way, can, can the novelist be also a teacher? Do you think do you think that as a, as a novelist, you know, you taught me a lot about music in Dissonance A Minor. You know, that was, that was a very thick, rich book that had a lot of detail about music. So I learned something from you. Do you think the readers want to approach books in which they already know everything? Or can the novelist actually be a little bit of a teacher? That, that's a big question for me. I think it would depend on you know, the reader because the reader, yeah, I think the reader makes that choice, what they want. I think it has to do with the reader. Yeah, the reader has to make that choice. But also, I think a huge part of it is you want it to be a topic that the reader already has an interest in and maybe some knowledge in, but you also have to teach them something. So it has to be a combination of that, of finding a topic that resonates, but also bringing something new to it. Yeah. But I think a lot of writers do write, you know, like, you know, we all don't write the same unless we're cop, you know, we're just trying to write something like somebody else does. But a, a real writer mm-hmm. just writes what they feel sometimes and their characters, they, they do have flaws and they do not have flaws and some, you know, but that when people talk about them, we, we make them a certain way. So I think what you're saying is right. Kind of, you know, Nicole, what you're, what you said is probably interesting thought though, that, they want to learn something, but it might be something they knew, but want to know it a little better. You know, yeah. So, yeah. Well, that's, yeah. That's an, it's, it's an interesting question that I think writers have to solve because sometimes you can get too detailed. You you get off track, and if it yeah. doesn't always serve the story, then you have to rethink what you're doing with all that wonderful information. You know, I I think Nicole, I have a, a sort of another question here. You, you talked about how you do write. What are some of your writing techniques, and how do you get from an idea, say a concept, to a publication? You have now what four novels that you you are mm-hmm. you know completed. Or how do you Correct. can you talk? Can you tell us how you the the track, the trail, the the journey, so to speak, from concept to publication? Sure, yeah. I mean, I like to really live in my head for a while with an idea. Something will come to me, and I won't, I won't really worry about 
doing a whole lot with it right away. I like to just kind of let it form in my mind, but you can't let that happen too long or you'll never write. But and then I am moving to outline. Right, right, right. You'll never, right. You'll never finish, right? Yeah, no. exactly. So I, I let it form itself enough that I know where I'm going. But then I, I get down to to outlining and putting something on paper. And a lot of people don't outline at all. A lot of people do, but not nearly as extensively as I do. But I, I, it's a very important part of my process is to outline a lot. And then I'll actually start writing. And it that point that's when I start trying to to let the book influence me back and you know just let it let it be what it wants to be and sometimes that means I'll have to rework the outline sometimes that means I have to throw the outline out sometimes it goes pretty much exactly like I think it's going to go it just depends and um, so Nicole like write... are you are you go ahead go ahead, go ahead. well so I in, just, in uh, a way what like you're to... talking about is letting the uh-huh. book get inside you you let the book yeah. become grow in you, and and so then how do you proceed from there? I guess the big question for me would: How do you know it's ready to be written? I I know it's ready to be written when I have Jack. enough of it. <laughs> it's, oh, it's a sorry, certain I, amount of gone. clarity. <laughs> mm. Okay. I want to know that. I, I'd like to know the answer. <laughs> <laughs> that would save that save a lot of time if we knew exactly if we should even bother writing. <laughs> well, you know, I think it's just to do with clarity. If it, if it's clear enough in your head that you think you're gonna get going for a while, if you're gonna if you're gonna write three pages and be stuck again, it's probably not ready. But if you've got a good quarter of a book or more in your brain, it's, it's time to get it going. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Because right, you have okay. to get it out. Do you write longhand at all, or, or everything on the computer? Yeah. No, I do. I do a lot of longhand. I I write almost all of the book longhand the first time, and then I go so to you transcribe do. it. Interesting. Uh-huh. I know. I see. I I do a lot of this, you know, and I I I do sometimes if I then I'll print some of the pages out, but I'll take it with me somewhere if I'm going to go somewhere and just have coffee and do. Mm-hmm. Then I will write like crazy after the part that I just typed, but, you know, that I have mm-hmm. from the computer, but then get the story going. But I do it longhand a lot of times, you know, and mm-hmm. some writers still do that. And I I even do, you know, I noticed something the other day that I, I, I probably should know this about myself, but I do love screenwriting much more than books, but uh, I decided to go back into books because it's so hard to get my screenplay seen, so I'm doing them as books. But, you know, um, no, I just lost my <laughs> so I'm getting into the whole thing. But, you know, when I'm – but I wrote some – oh, yeah, when I write an outline now, I've noticed that when I get to them talking, I'm writing it like I'm writing a script. I write, you know, the name goes on top, then the person talks, and then the name and the tap, and I'm going like, oh, my God, this is like a screenplay, you know. And But I guess that's how I do it. You know, I write their conversation, and then I figure out what happened. Because maybe it's in my brain that I'm writing, you know, I see it that way as a script, you know. Do you feel that it's helpful to do a paper edit, or do you just like to write on paper? I don't do, do you a actually paper print edit. Out right. Yeah, I don't know. I don't edit on paper. I just write okay. it, and then I go on the computer. And when I get to the computer, I'm writing it a lot different it, like I have I could write one line on, on a piece of paper and then all of a sudden I get the whole thought but if I I have to sometimes write it on the on the page and then yeah, I call I, that once a, I start working it yeah. 
Is that what yeah, it's called? I call that unpack. I call oh, it unpacking. Unpack? You know, oh, okay. Unpacking. Yeah, <laughs> you get this idea and you start to follow it, yeah. and pretty soon it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and and you you've unpacked that idea, and it's just ah. full of good stuff. You know, uh, Nicole, yeah. you you write by you write longhand, right? So the next uh-huh. question, Marsha already asked you. At what point do you start the editing that you talked about doing? Well, I I kind of do it as I go. So I'll write a few chapters longhand, and then I'll transcribe it into the computer. And that really is my first edit. It's kind of similar to how a lot of people will read out loud. And just the act of reading out loud, you're going to naturally kind of smooth out the rough edges. I yeah. find that to be yeah. true mm-hmm. when, I, when I'm typing it, too. So that transference from paper to computer is actually kind of my first rough edit because it ends up in the computer better than it was on paper. And, yeah, um, me too. well, right, exactly, right, yeah. I don't know why that is, but it's true. It is true, you know. And sometimes I'm writing mm-hmm. so fast when I'm writing it on the on paper, I'm going like, what did I write? God, I can't even read it because it's just coming yeah. out so fast. You know, and well, that's probably because I'm much faster that way. But sometimes I go like, "What did that mean?" <laughs> but then I have a lot of notes sometimes, and then I notice sometimes I don't. I keep writing them in different notebooks sometimes, and then I realize, "Oh my God, I didn't write it in the same notebook." But somewhere along the line, it's in my brain, so it ends up coming out when I really get to writing mm-hmm. the story. You know, I yeah. guess it yeah. comes from us, you know. I mean, the yeah. most interesting part about writing for me, I don't know about the two of you, is like when you write something and then you read it, like maybe even a year later, and then you would go and maybe add something to it, it comes out, you, you're right into that same place you were. It's such a weird feeling to, they're like your old friends or something, you go back in and you know exactly what happened. And you fit right in again. Mm-hmm you know, to where you were writing. Because sometimes you think it's not good, and then you go back and you look at something that you've written and then you want to add stuff to, but unfortunately sometimes it's in a book already and you don't want to start the whole book. I'm learning not to do that. See, a script, you can rework it easier, you know. But in a book, once it's out already, you don't want to change it. Yeah, I I have a big problem with changing things, so I'm I'm working on that, you know, to be happy with what I did. So, Nicole, do you ever have that? I've had it go both ways. I've had sometimes I, I finish writing something and I'm like, well, that was terrible, and I'll go back and read it. And I'll be like, oh, no, it's it's okay. And I've had it go the other way as well where I, I, I write it and I think I did a good job, and then I go look at it again, and I'm like, well, no, that, that needs a lot of work still. So I've, I've yeah, actually had it yeah. go both directions. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, that oh, leads, leads to a question then. Do you ever write, rewrite, or rework, and then go back and say, oh, I like the first version better? Or do you find that the writing increases in depth and texture as you proceed and get deeper into it? I can't say I've ever liked an earlier version better, because if I rewrite okay. it, I, it's, yeah. it's not working for me. And it, so it's not, it's yeah, not going exactly. yeah. to work yeah. for me later. Isn't that, so. curious? Isn't that curious <laughs> that, that that happens to the creative mind, that you think, yeah. oh, that was really good the first time. You rework and you say, what? How did I ever do that? Right, yeah. And then you do something, you know. Um, yeah, that's... that's uh, a puzzle to me, you know. Is, well, there are no how, answers. How, Sometimes there are no. the answers for writers. You know, we just kind of, I don't know. That's why people don't understand us. 
much because we have all these thoughts. You said, Jack, let me ask you one question, Jack. You said that when you were working on the Citadel for a year or something before you wrote it? Oh, much longer than that. But I did the deep research for the... I wrote the I wrote the inner, see it's an inner novel and an outer novel and I did the the inner novel a couple of years ago and then I started to do the outer novel and that's when I realized that I really had lost sight of what modern genetics were doing so I backed out of that and spent an entire year reading you know books on genetics and and chromosomes and how things work. So, uh, what was the what's the <laughs> what was the question? <laughs> no, I mean, but you said you. I mean, what did you? I mean, because it took you like so. All right, so you, how many years then did you have this in your this thought process oh, of, to, oh, in your head? Oh, a long time. A long time. I had oh, I had okay. text right off the bat because I, uh, I, well, I had I had a novel. Let me go to put it this way. I talked to Nicole, and I made a suggestion to her that there are really three novels in every one you write. There's the novel that your ego wants credit for. I, Jack Remick, I, Nicole, I, Marcia, that's Cook wrote this. And then there's the, the novel that your readers are desperate for you to write. And then there's a novel that needs to be and has to be written. And sometimes there are three very different books. Well, I found myself in the third phase with Citadel. I had already written something that sort of blah, blah, blah. But then I thought, wait a minute, there's something else here. There's something else going on. So I had to go in to find the book that needed to be written. And what came out was an entirely different novel than the one that went in. Okay, so that's what I mean. That's why if you don't see, I think writers commit an inevitable and invariable sin they let the novel go too soon. And when you let it go too soon, you don't have a chance to look at, as Nicole said, see what comes next to see how that compares to what came before. And so I, I did that with Citadel, and I, I'm very happy with that novel. It is not the novel that went in the first time. It's the third, the third phase of the novel. Yeah, that's very interesting. Nicole, do you have anything to ask, Jack? Yeah, I do. I was uh, wondering, Jack, actually, I have a question for you about that. So when you realize that there's a novel that needs to be written that is different than what you have written, how do you you go about changing that, and how much did you have to change? How do I make the passage? Well, it's, Mm -hmm. it's that whole thing about not letting it go too soon. Sometimes our technique outstrips Excuse me. Sometimes our concept and stories outstrip our technique, and it takes you a while to build the technique to handle this this story. Like Citadel is is has got four or five really storylines in it. Well, I use five points of view, so it you know there are five storylines running through there. But if I had let it go first, the way I first conceptualized it and first wrote it, it would have just died. It may still die, but at least the novel that dies will be the novel that had to be written. And it just took me years to figure that out because each time I build a novel, I go to a completely new, I won't say level, but to a completely different place and isolate it from the world and work on it 
in that in that vein so that I know what I'm getting is not being tainted by what I did before and I'm not anxious to bring my techniques from before into this one. It's like you have to invent new techniques to get to the depth and the rigor of the story. Does that answer the question? Yeah, it does. And I've actually yeah. got another one for you, Jack. Um, I, I, I love Citadel. It's, it's an See, Jack, you're novel. not the only one going to ask questions, Jack. <laughs> oh, okay. okay, I'll try to answer you. Yeah. Well, um, Jack, in, in Citadel, you have some, some really interesting scenes where Tricia, the, the editor, is in the book talking to the characters and you're writing about it from the perspective of an editor. And I just wanted to see, is that how you feel as a writer as well? Are you, are you just in the room speaking with them personally? Are you a witness watching them speak to each other? How do you experience that? Well, okay. Well, first of all, you know, I, I wrote for pig iron magazine for about eight years and I, I wrote introductions and I had a continuing series in there. So I had some experience with the editor role itself so it's not like i just jumped in cold uh, i remember when we first started pig iron we would hand hand write rejection notices thanking the author for, for submitting you know that was how long ago that was well that, you know, yeah. then we got yeah, to Mimeo, right. and then we got to not even answering the ones that were so awful that we didn't you know w- want to do it but so i i i really had to cope with that and what I did was sort of put together all of my experiences with Catherine at, at Coffee Town Press because she was an editor, publisher, and she would go over my work and say, do you want to use this word or that word? So she became really involved in the book. So you could say in a way that the editor in Citadel is an homage payment to Catherine at Coffee Town Press. And wow, so yeah. that's, that's how I came. Is that the answer? That does that answer the question? I guess is. It does, and I think it's it's very special that you took the time to do that because editor is kind of a role that that as a reader you don't really feel all that aware of, but as a writer you you realize how involved they get in it, and it's kind of a person that the only other person I'd say that spends as much time caring and, and tinkering with your words as you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because sometimes with my editor, you know, with I have the same editor that is always, and he'll say something, and I told him the other t- the last book, I go, you know, if I didn't know you all these years, and you keep saying the things you say, I said I would never write another word because uh, <laughs> you, you know, <laughs> you're, you're you're thinking like I always think, oh, this is pretty good. This isn't going to have as many edits, and he's not going to have to change this, and it's in the right order, and it, everything is right. And then he starts saying, well, what about this and that? And like you said, the word, and did you mean this or did you mean that? And then I'm t- mm-hmm. and then by the end, I mean, it t- always turns out that I'm happy. It's good. And <laughs> I'm thinking, like, he mm-hmm. writes, he knows uh, me so well. He's done my, for, yeah, after 20 years, right, he's done yeah. this for me. And, and I'm thinking, like, oh, good, okay. But while I said to him, I said, I don't even know if I would talk to you <laughs> What do you say? Yeah. Yeah. And he goes, what are you talking about? I, I said, I think you think I'm terrible. He goes, what? <laughs> like, I don't know. You know, you get to feel that way. You're going like, oh, did I mean that? Or, but you're right. He asked me those questions. He goes, well, did I mean this? Or why did I say this? And I think that's probably a good thing because you want someone to make sure that it's right. 
that you mean what you yeah. know that it comes out the right yeah. way. But you see, the editor, the editor. Now, what I tried to get to with the editor in Citadel was to make sure that what we're seeing here is a person who is as involved in the novel as the writer. All right, and yeah. that's what you're yeah. saying. And, yeah. and the, the question yeah. then is, how does the editor know the choices to make? I mean, are, yeah. you know, they, they get this, they read it the first, and they say, oh, that's got, oh, you got to cut, you got you to cut this or do that. So you've got this tremendous pressure on the editor yeah. to yeah. understand deeply right away what the novel is doing and how it's working. And so what I tried to do was to take the editor from being a distant person to being actually involved in the novel to the extent yeah. that she is yeah. a character having dialogue yeah. with the other characters, which I think is one of the, and I'll use this term lightly, one of the creative aspects of that novel is to incorporate yeah. the editor as a character in the book. So I was, I was, I'm not proud of it, but I'm happy that I was able to have the technique to make that work. I couldn't have done well, that 10 great. years ago. But it does show how important an editor really is. I mean, you know, um, people say they have editor, and I, I've done shows for nine years, and I people are always saying, oh, yeah, they have an editor. This one's editing it. That one's editing it. And this one looked at it. I really don't have a lot of people looking at my work except the editor. That's it. I don't give it to my friends. I don't give it to my family, nothing. I just give it to him. And then, you know, that's who I trust to do my work. Because I know he knows me and what I meant, and what if I didn't mean that he'll put it the right way, you know, the way it should be. I mean, you know, we wrote a screenplay. We he did all my screenplays, also he edited them, and we also wrote a screenplay together. Mm-hmm. So he does know how I think, you know, and we yeah. don't think always the same way, and and you know, well, but you know, that's think, okay. Maybe that's maybe that's the effect of a long range of a of a series of books. You know, the editor works with you and knows what the internal workings of that are, what the world building is trying to produce, what the characters are doing, how they're feeling. That's a, you know, well, let me go back and just just say again, I think that sometimes we have to wait for our techniques to catch up with our ideas. And that was certainly true in Citadel. Nicole, do you have any other questions to ask Jeff? Oh, yeah, I have tons of questions to ask. All right, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> well, I've got another one for you, Jack. And I don't have to be the only one asking questions, but this show is this, this show goes this way. Go ahead. This is you a free flow questions. of information here, you know. Yes, it is. It always is. <laughs> well, uh, Jack, I read, I read Blood. That was the first book of yours that I read. And then reading Citadel, and I, I noticed that you kind of have this tendency to write really intense stories, and especially with Citadel, you're writing – a pretty controversial story. You know, we're in a time right now where women's rights are, are very under the microscope. People are analyzing it in, in a yeah. pretty serious way. And, and then you're writing this book about a world that doesn't need men, and which the women get to des- decide if men even have a place. How do you let the controversial nature of that into your work? And do you take into account if that's going to hurt you trying to get it published and how readers are going to be affected by it? Do you let that come into play in your creative process? Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> what I, see, I, 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 yeah. We've talked about, Marcia and I, and I think you and I, Nicole, have talked about the whole issue of literary fiction. 
One of the things that I do not like about genre writing is this, this writer goes on this journey and comes back with another Roman coin or another Grecian urn. I don't want to do that. You know, I, I want to push my novels beyond the scope of, of what was and sort of build a new idea about what can be. Because if we get static as writers, we just replicate ourselves, and we know that that is not a good thing. You tell the same story over and over. Let me compliment you on the difference between Dissonance A Minor and Hers to Protect and the one about the, the child molester or the, you know, that, that one. Talk about three different books, you see. So I think that that's what I tried to do. So in order to make that happen, I had to say, what's going on? And in, in a way, one of the things that got to me was this whole question of what happens to women in this culture? What is going on that, that women are having such, why is there a glass ceiling? Why, why does the Boko Haram abduct? 300 Nigerian women and keep them captive for five years. What is going on? And so I, I took that and said, if I push that to the edge, there's one conclusion. Women have simply got to live separately from men until men learn how to control what is driving them and get past their, I call a section in the book called Paleolithic Residue. You know, the, the paleolithic Remember we had the show and we in, talked about that? We talked about that. Jack, you were on the show yes, with me with yes. Sarah. And, right, yes. we had Sarah, yeah, and um, David Steinberg on, um, yeah. talking about this whole, you know, and since then, look what's happened. Yeah, yeah. It's ever, well, this you know, is it's what so I, much what, more. It's, uh, it's, in, it's gone really to the to- over the top now. You know, what's going on? We're in an extreme phase right now. And so I just, to answer your question, Nicole, I wanted to push it to the limit. When I push it to the limit, I have to ask the question, do women even need men anymore? And that's why the death of the Y chromosome may be a uh, subtitle for for Citadel, because what what Deva finds in her research inside the book is that, in fact, the Y chromosome is dying in men. Now, it may not be completely gone for two 200,000 years, but the, the mole vole is already capable of reproducing without a Y chromosome. So we don't need the Y to make males. That's as controversial as it gets, because every white Christian male in this country will stand up with his AR-15 and say, what the hell are you talking about? You know, so <laughs> I, I went to the edge. I knew I was going to the edge. I'm really glad I did. So is that an answer to that question, Nicole? See, we don't even have Absolutely. to ask Jack because we know Jack's writing is like Jack. Jack is, is very intense, and he's very, you know, he Jack, you think so. You have so many thoughts in your head. It's amazing. I mean, it is. You know, if you only I mean, knew. about no, about a lot of different issues. That's why it's always so interesting. Yeah. You know, and yeah. because you it. A lot of people don't think that way. You you have a way of thinking of, about the future and the past and and the present. You know, you're putting it all in. You roll it all up in a ball there, and you know, you make literary works from yeah. it. Be, be, and yeah, no, not yeah. many people they don't really do that. You know, because yeah. you're taking on but, a lot, but, especially yeah. with that theory. Yeah. Yes. Let me toss a question back at at, at Nicole. You know. Uh, I just mentioned genre. What do you think about genre? What is genre? Is is genre writing the way to go, 
or in, you know, I ask, you know, this is a leading question. Do you think literary fiction is more creative than genre writing? You know, I, I think there are different types of creativity, and I, I appreciate both. I think that the challenge in genre fiction is that there's a certain set of expectations. You know, your romance needs to have a happy ending. It needs to be within a certain word count range. There are yeah. certain things right. that have to happen. And to make that new and interesting, and yet still what those readers are used to, does take some creativity. That being said, literary fiction, very different kind of creativity, because now your job is to tell a compelling story and to do it without the the proven methods that you see in genre writing. You know, those, those formulas and structures are in place because they, they work. They make for a compelling story. So literary right. fiction, you're doing something more experimental, so you have to figure out how to make your story work without any of that. However, the one important yeah. thing that, that changes everything is because when you go out to put your book out there and when you have to put it in a genre that you don't know exactly what genre that is, people might not mm-hmm. get to see your book because we, cause Amazon is, not, is very specific on what they will let you put in as a genre. So you are right. missing an audience that may very well love a book but they won't know about the book because they're not putting in like what they, you know, the right tag word or yeah. the right genre. Yeah. It's very, very difficult because especially yeah. when you put yourself in that category, fiction, literary, whatever, contemporary, that's everybody. You know, there's so many people in the same category. How do you make it where people are going to really want to read your book because they're not finding it? It's not yeah. because they don't want to yeah. read your book if they can't find it. With the writing, you break out of your closed circle it's and very get a hard. wider audience. Yeah, that's that's a hard question. Nicole, what is what is your target audience for both dissonance and hers to protect? Well, you know, I mean, it's it's just like you're saying. It's, it's difficult to try to categorize a story that doesn't necessarily want to just fit into a certain genre. Um, right. My readers, I. They're they're pretty much going to be probably in their 20s and 30s. It's going to appeal to lesbians, clearly. But that's not my only genre because I put story first. And I'm not so much trying to write about lesbians. I'm trying to write a story that has lesbians in it. And I, it's going to resonate, resonate with the LGBT audience. And I'm glad it does to have some of that media available for that for these people that don't, you know, yes. typically yeah. get to read yeah. about characters that are like them. You know, I didn't even myself growing up didn't have a lot of books or entertainment around at me where I saw someone like myself. So I think that's an important thing to offer to the world and, and I'm very happy to be contributing to that genre. And at the well, same time it know, doesn't always fit so neatly into that category. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you something which is very interesting because to next uh next week I'm having two authors that are young adult LGBT authors. And uh, wow. they asked if I would do the show, and I go, of course, I'm going to do it. Alexander C. Eberhard and um, Mir Joyce, they're going to be on, and they are young adults. So that I think I, well, I have not had that type of show, and I think that's really important, especially since and that you just said that, because there should be books like that out there mm-hmm. for young adults so yeah. they don't feel so Absolutely. alone. Yeah, so well, it's you know, kind of Marcia, a balancing act. 
Um, and so it's a balancing cool. act where you want you want to contribute to that, and you want that to to be available, and you, then you get to kind of the bigger challenge is how do how do we now get past that? How do we appeal to to more people than that? Because it it is a, the stories are universal, so it's you start with that foundation of the people that are going to appreciate it, and then you start yeah. looking at okay, now how do we make it more mainstream? Yeah. But it would be very interesting because I've not had authors that write young adult LGBT, and I think it, you know, certainly after what you just said, or even right now, you didn't have anything like that when you were growing up. To right. read. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. What would your models be? Yeah, they have to be secret. I have a question about what, what for both of you. You know, I'm a guy. I'm a man. So does I have a Y chromosome? Uh, what, what's the role of gender? What's happening to gender in the country right now? Is it is it independent of something or is it dependent on something? What you know, we talk about intersex, we talk about you know transgender, all these other things. I read an article in the Washington Post this morning about a native tribe in Colombia called the Embra, and they are in fact a lot of the males are transgendered to female, but because they get ostracized by their clan, they go work in the coffee industry where they're not, I guess, pigeonholed as something. So the question of gender is not just in America, but it's around the world. You know, the yeah. Londo in Africa have the question. The American Indians have, the, I forget what, the Huaya. Aoya, something like that. So this is a question that we're just really making, we're really bringing it to light, but it's deeply hidden in our genes to a, a certain extent. Okay, I mean, all embryologically, we're all females until we get those two shots of testosterone in utero, and then our testicles descend and we become males, or we don't get the, the testosterone and we stay female. So it's a very complex issue. Is that in your mind, either of you, you know, when you think about writing, when you think about the things you're writing? Um, Yeah. Yeah. Well, go ahead. ahead. You can go first on that one. (laughs) I was just going to say that, yeah, it's it's in my head as far as I think that a, a lot of it is that people are demanding their right to be a person and an individual and to not necessarily be defined so strictly by male and female. And I think they're kind of embracing those other parts of themselves and they are demanding a a right and a way to express that in those parts of themselves and and to be acknowledged. I think that that's probably been the case forever, but we're in a time now where people are starting to explore it and acknowledge it and talk about it and accept it. Right, and, you know, and uh, the way I feel is the way my shows are. You know, I've been doing shows for, like I said, eight or nine years, and I've had different guests on a lot of different subjects because I do believe that everybody should say whatever they're thinking, you know, whatever, you know, what they, they have thoughts about their a certain lifestyle or certain things that diseases they have or things like that or their marriages or, you know, different subjects. So I feel like for me, I think that everybody's so tough on everybody now. I think it's, it's kind of where everybody's so jaded. I mean, you know, Everything that's happening now probably happened years and years and years ago. It's just right now it's out in the yeah out everywhere. And I think that what's happening now is just because someone says something doesn't mean it's true, you know. And that's the problem. If somebody 
you know, there's like almost, if, if somebody says, this guy did this, there's no trial. They go, okay, fine. He's gone now. Goodbye. You can't, you know, I, I just don't know now because there are so many people out there. I think the only way, in my opinion, to solve a lot of things that happened in the past is move on to the future and hope that these things don't exist now. I don't think you can go all the way back because it's not good. It's not a good picture from the back. you got to move forward because I think it did happen way too much in a lot of yeah. bad, unhappy people did very bad things. I mean, they, they just weren't nice to people, that's all, and they don't accept. Yeah. So I think the only way yeah. to stop this now is to just try and move forward and just, you know, let people maybe understand things that they never understood before. I mean, okay, but Nicole, to, to me, there's a generational thing here. You know, you, you wh- what are your what's your take on gender fluidity? I mean, is that a, even a concept that you, you know, have in your, you know, in your world? Yeah, I mean, I think I've been exposed to it quite a bit more. Like you said, it's a generational thing where it's a lot more prevalent for me. I think a lot of it is that we've kind of tackled one issue at a time, sort of. And now we're, you know, there was a time when you couldn't really openly be gay, you know, and now that's pretty acceptable. Now we're starting to look at things like, okay, gender, or maybe, you know, more than just gay. You know, people are starting to look at pansexual or bisexual or whatever it may be. So I feel like it's just being taken in baby steps and now we've evolved enough to where we can start really looking at gender and and, and what I think TV has helped the television and movie industry have helped that to show different sides you know in a good way I think that you know we're more accepting of things because you know people are seeing it and getting used to a, a different way of life it's not just one way it could be many ways mm-hmm. you know and I think yeah. there's a lot we talked about that last week on my show too. You know, there we talked about interracial marriages and things. And I had shows of, of a lot of authors that did interracial stories. And I don't know if there still is, but I'm sure there is because I think I do know some that don't even want to publish interracial marriages. You know, and yeah. that's why I've had yeah. shows like that because I, I just, you know, for me, I think people should be exposed to everything that there is, and they can make their own mm-hmm. decisions. And not be so hard mm-hmm. on each other for being a you know in, in one Cit- way or another because we're not all the same. Yeah, in Citadel, I tried to build a lot of the story on the question of the difference between belief and think, belief and think, and belief in thought. And I tried to to make that very clear that the thinkers are people who are accepting of change. They'll take the data and they will change their mindset based on what they have just learned. The believers are fixed in time and space and cannot imagine an alternative. And so their worldview becomes very limited. What you're talking about, Marcia, is, is something that I was trying to get to in an essay about, you know, what happened to that kind of thinking that said the world, you know, is out there and it needs to be incorporated into us. The unexamined life is not worth living kind of thing. If you just stay stuck in your belief, you know, yeah. you, you can never change. You right, and I think change. sometimes right, no and, and to leave yourself your mind open somewhat to say, okay, yeah. maybe I don't know about that, but maybe I'll learn about that. But that's yeah. you know, and that's why we need to move forward with some, you know, people really. I prefer to first look at the good 
and then hopefully there's not bad. But I don't want to no. see the bad first and then look at the good because that's really no. that's judging. So I mean, no. it's really so judgmental, you know. And I don't no, want to be that well, way. Nicole, can you can you expand on that where you, from where you sit? Uh, well, I mean, as far as judgment, yeah, I mean, it's it's a part of the world, unfortunately. But I mean, yeah. it, I think you just like. You know, again, with the pieces, because it started with, you know, like women were not even equal. So discussing lesbian rights or gender fluidity was not, could not even begin to be on the table if you're as a woman not even equal or things like class or things like that. So it's starting to, it's progress. And it would be great to just say that, like, everyone should be exposed to everything. And I think, fortunately, we're getting to the point where that is more and more the case. But, uh, you know, up until now, it hasn't really been the case. How do you discuss you know, gender identity when you don't even see the female gender as equal. So it's yeah. been an yeah. Well, that's that well, that's actually yeah. I mean, I think it would well, be Nicole, nice to me... it would be nice to you know do it on a lot of levels is what you're saying is just you know mm-hmm. so people would maybe understand each. I, I don't know. It's a really tough question mm-hmm. these days. It's uh, very hard mm-hmm. these days. I think. Well, Nicole, you mm-hmm. had you had a terrible experience precisely about that whole question of understanding with your second novel that you sent to Coffee Town. Right. Tell us about that book and what happened there. Uh, sure, yeah. Um, it, it was called Liar's Wake. It was a very controversial novel that I knew I was going to run into this problem with, but it was one of those books that I just really felt I needed to write. And what it was is it's about a child molester who – tried to rehabilitate himself essentially by befriending a pickup artist and trying to pursue women. And uh, it's, it's a story that right out of the gates I knew was going to be really tough because people don't like child molesters, of course. And it's written in first person present tense. So you're kind of forced into his skin, which a lot of people are not comfortable with. Um, But I mean, if you actually read through the novel and everything, you can see the bigger picture. I like to think you can that it's not advocating that it's just painting him as a human being and not, not a good one, but a human nonetheless, which is a reality we have to look at is that they're people and they're around us. And, you know, and it's not some scary monster in the closet that we could just not acknowledge, but um, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot for publishers to to take on, you know, there's a lot of risk there and you, you know that going in when you write a story yeah. like that, but yeah. that you're going to get quite a bit of pushback. And even if it does get published, you're then going to face some pushback from, from reviewers and readers and everyone. But yeah. uh, it, it was one of those stories that I just, despite knowing that going in, had to write it anyway. And I'm, even though it, it did turn out to be an experience where it didn't gain a lot of traction and I'm still trying to place it, I, I don't regret it because I, I still have a piece of literature that I'm proud of. And I, you know, it's not going anywhere. I still have it, and I still have hope that one of these days You could I'll, independently I'll publish it. I mean, you know. Mm-hmm. You yeah, could independently well, publish well, I really like the, the turn of phrase. It's something I just had to write about. <laughs> the book had to be written, right? So, yes, see, that's, that's, that's exactly what, what you were talking about it. earlier. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, I mean, right, and, you know, and that is the thing, you know, because, you know, and uh, that that might, it, it would be hard to find a, um, a, to put that on, like, 
what genre would you use fiction or whatever you know or whatever right. you know i mean that's mm-hmm. that's that's the problem that authors go through now if they want to write something also they have to know where it's going to fit and the problem is if you just have to write it then you should because it will find its own audience or not but at least you'll have done what you wanted right you know, and actually and, jack going back to what you said about the three different stories with the the one that you want to write, the one that the reader wants yeah. to read, and the one that has to be told. This is just the perfect category of that because I always take in them in all into account. They're all equally important, but to me, you have to look at them in a certain order. And then as a, first, you have to look at it as what's the story you want to write because that's that's your starting point. Yeah, that's how you yeah. get that's how you get words on the paper. And then you go to the story that wants to be told, which is hopefully going to emerge in the middle. And then I consider the story that that readers want to read. I think about that last, and not because it's not important, but because there are readers for any good book. If you've written a good book, someone out there wants to read it. And you have to look at it in that order. Because if you think reader first and you write something for them that you're not writing for you or not writing for the novel, It's not going to be a good book, and there's no fixing that. There's no readers for bad books. Right, yeah, yeah. I've never well, really written a that's... book for a reader. I, I don't think I've ever done that. I just write the story, the best story I can at the time for what I'm doing, you know, and mm-hmm. I I don't I, – I think it's hard to write for a reader because then you're writing like everybody else, and then you don't really want to be like everybody else, and, you know, it's just a carbon copy of what someone else has out there. So – for me, I like yeah. to just, you know, my characters, I they're very individual. I don't like to write the same characters, you know, at all. Even the same characteristics sometimes they don't have, you know. And so I think, yeah, I agree with what you, you know, Nicole, you're saying. Those, that three th- things should stick in your mm-hmm. mind that Jack said, which is a very good way to look at it, you know. Yeah. If you're, if you're well, like in question stretch. about like what you should do. Thing. If you're yeah, yeah well yeah, but if you're in question about should you write this, but if you think you need to write it, then write it. And the best part write about it. this exactly. world now is you can do independently published. So that's to me the most freeing thing of all is that you don't have to really think that if someone doesn't want to pick it up, that it can't get out there. Yeah, it can. Yeah. Well, then, you know. there's that. Well, worse, worse than being. I think somebody said, how does it go? The worst problem is not being published, but being, oh, not being reviewed, but being ignored, you know, and as writers, we're all ignored. I kind of like the joke that I have the same number of readers, whether my books are published or not. You know, but that doesn't stop me from writing them. Yeah, I can, you know, you know, I have you know to and it's them. interesting, right, because, you know, I think that, you know, one of the things, you know, we're almost done with the show, but, like, one of the things is everybody's, you know, with this Amazon rating, you know, I really wish they would take that away because I hate that. I don't like that at all. It is so it's 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 really troubling. <laughs> you have to look at it and you go like, oh, okay. And then you look at someone else and, you know, and you go like, how do they get to be number one, number ten? And, you know, it's it's amazing. And it's kind of, you know, I think it can give people writer's block. And I, I really do believe that if the ratings were off, they can still write reviews. But I don't need, I don't think it should be where you have to see what, you know, how you rate on a chart. And they do it every up to every minute or something. Yeah. I don't know what they do, but I don't. I think that's no. a really bad way to find a good quality book. You know, you're not. No. You know, you have to look at. I mean, if you're looking for a subject or something that you want, don't look at 
maybe how many stars it has. Just try to, you know, learn about the reader. If something is very inexpensive, even 99 cents well, or $2, I mean, Nicole, come on, just buy the book then. Yeah, Nicole, Nicole sort of broached on that when she said you, you sort of start looking at it, start feeling it, you know, and then you, you go through the process of deciding actually who it's for. You may have to yeah. shape it, but that leads to a couple of questions. All right. We have skirted the question of craft quite a bit, and I opened with craft and that kind of – I'm really excited about craft. I don't get very excited about a lot of things, but craft is the one thing that intrigues me. So I have to <laughs> Well, we want you to be happy, Nicole. Jack. We want you to be uh, happy. Two questions. <laughs> two questions for both of you. One, you know, what is a sentence and what is a paragraph in fiction? Oh, boy. I have stirred around that for a long time. Go ahead, Nicole. You know, I know what a paragraph. Yeah, go ahead, Nicole. You first. You go to jump through and see if the water's oh, cold. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, to me, a sentence, I, I think of it almost as like a unit of measurement. You know, it's it's a, a unit of communication, and it's used to convey an idea, really, and it what. It needs to be complete. It needs to stand on its own, and that doesn't necessarily mean in the classic subject-verb sense. It just needs to be strong enough to stand on its own and mean something. And then a paragraph is uh, it's a, that's more about a bigger idea. It's a collection of those sentences, and that it kind of guides you as to what the idea is. And a paragraph to me is also a pacing tool. I like to clue a reader into how quickly they should be reading and how important something yeah. is. I use. I use paragraph length quite a bit for that. You do? Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's nice. Wonderful. Wonderful answer. Yeah. Wonderful. That's a good answer. answer. So yeah. I'll accept that answer for yeah. me too. Cause I, <laughs> you know, these, these are really <laughs> oh, good questions though. You, you know, I mean, the, these are really easy. good questions because authors really do, you know, you think about those things because then you go like, well, should I shorten this paragraph? Should I not? And especially in the film writing and especially with Jack, you know this, when you have to do a log line, it's one sentence drives me insane. Uh, I'd rather write a whole right. script than uh-huh. one log line yeah. because you have to encapsulate, even in, in especially in a comedy, you have to, in, in one sentence. And then if you write too many, they go, oh, no, that's not, we're not interested in that. I yeah. mean, it, that's yeah. the point. You've spent days, years, and months, well, days, months, years, thinking about exact concept for the screenplay, what you wanted to say in one sentence, and then they go, oh, not really, we're not looking for that. So it's like, okay, <laughs> that's that's a problem, you know, and so it is hard, you know, and I think, you know, if you try to write each sentence or each paragraph the best you can, because, you know, it does mean something to people in in any aspect. Well, look, you know, when I was in, in poetry, there was a, an adage that we developed. I, I worked with a group called Seattle 5 Plus 1 for a number of years. We read around sort of a performance group. And we had sort of a rule that take your best line in every poem and make everything else just like it, which is kind of oh, what you're awesome. saying. Every yeah. sentence has got to <laughs> right. work right. for the story. It's got to do something. It's got to move on. Uh, Marcia, you said we're about ready to wrap this up. Do we have yes. time for Nicole to read some of her new work to us? If she wants do you to want to do on, that, yeah, it's a, I, I'm fine. Oh, goodness. Let me pull something up then. I'm not prepared. One second. Well, I think, you know, and I think all of these questions, you know, it's, very, it's always interesting to hear answers because then when you, you know, Every show that I've had, and I talk about this all the time, that you do learn something new because when you're listening to another author say something, 
you know, it does resonate. I think it does. Yeah. And you know, and I, well, we eventually today's... all come to the same. We all get to the same place. Right. We want to write a <laughs> right. story that's coherent, that has and characters right. who live, who breathe, who speak in a in a in a great way that leaves yeah. you with something to remember. I mean, you know, it, yeah. see, one of the whole questions that has, keeps coming up is, are we wired for story? In other words, to put it into a metaphor, is there a story gene? The answer is probably yes. But we don't know where it is or what it is yet. But we all want that narrative to move in a certain way, to go to a certain place, to tell us something we maybe or did not know, and to give us an ending that lets us leave with just a right. little and that, bit that, of hope. That does call for right a good. That's why I named the show. It's a good story. It's a good story because write a good story. Yeah. End of. That's it. Don't yeah. write a bad story. Write a good story, and then right. someone when yeah. they're done with the beginning, middle, and end, go like, oh, that was a good story. I mean, that's what we all want. Yeah. Well, I don't know about you, but I want something that breaks the mold. I want something (laughs) that brings back not another Roman coin or a Grecian urn, but, you know, something so never seen by human eyes before that takes me to a new place. (laughs) I don't think... I don't think that heavily. I'm asking too much. I watch a lot of TV. I watch a lot of TV. I can't think about that. Those. Then I go, oh, okay, I can do this. Keep going. All right, Nicole, do you have something for us? I do, yeah, I can read it. I'm going to just go ahead and read the first couple of pages so I don't need to do too much setup here. And uh, I'm trying to take a quick look at it here. I'm not sure. Are we okay with a little profanity on the show? Yeah, sorry. I, I can always switch this thing to. Yeah, I could switch it later to. Yeah, I, we've had some. It's okay. Just okay. Go, go, go for it. I'll change it. I want to make can. sure. Yeah. Okay. So this is just the the opening of the novel. I'll just read a couple pages here. This is a new novel, so, right? Yes. This is going to be from Hearst to Protect. This is the novel that's okay. going to be available oh, everywhere right. on June first. Yeah. I have the picture out too. Go ahead. <laughs> Darkness tickled the edges of her vision. Her hot fingers pressed into the sides of her throat and a sweaty palm squished the pliable elastic of her windpipe closed. Adrian knew at some point it would snap, that it would happen in an instant and that it would kill her. Gianna, she tried, but only spit and a squeak came out. Shut up, Gianna screamed. Don't lie to me. I saw the way he looked at you. Adrian usually tried to weather Gianna's episodes, but she knew she was all out of courage. She couldn't believe Gianna was trying to kill her, yet she knew her life was in danger all the same. She couldn't die over a meaningless smile from the grocery store bag boy. That couldn't be the end of this ridiculous life. Adrian glanced around the room and quickly identified the lamp as the only remotely heavy object within reach. She swatted the air, desperately clawing for it. She felt hot fingers brush the iron and grasped it. Gianna's eyes followed Adrian's hand in time to see the shade swinging at her head. The bowl broke against the side of her face and sent the room into darkness. Adrian gasped for air, and when the vice of Gianna's grip released her, the frantic inhale ripped through her burning throat. She ran through the dark, eyes only able to distinguish vague outlines of the furniture. She toppled a chair and muscled through the obstacle and the pain, with Gianna's string of curse words crashing after her. She slammed and locked the bathroom door just fast enough that Gianna's attempt at the doorknob amounted only to a frustrated, violent rattle. She pulled her cell phone from her pocket and struggled with her trembling hand that didn't seem to be her own. She watched the foreign wind clumsily betray her, missing the buttons and nearly losing the phone completely. It seemed an irrational and panicked thing, incapable and helpless even as her brain felt hyper-focused. Open the door, Adrian. Gianna shook the doorknob. What do you think you're going to do? I'm not going anywhere. 
Adrienne heard a small voice from the phone she hadn't yet put to her ear. The screen showed a connection to 911. Her heart dropped. Had she really done that? She'd never called the cops before. It was a dangerous line to cross. G would be furious. You never snitch. If there was one rule in this world not to break, that was it. Adrian. Gianna was loud enough the phone picked it up. Adrian heard the insistent operator still chiming from the other end of the line, reaching for someone, refusing to disconnect. It went quiet. Gianna stopped yelling. Adrian stood, paralyzed in the silence. It was almost worse. What was she doing? Adrian's eyes rebounded around the drab bathroom to the chipped paint, the floor laminate curling up at the corners. There was no way to barricade the door, no way to escape, and nothing to use to defend herself. A massive thud shook the door. Adrian jumped and backed into the corner by the sink. Another crash and the door shivered. She was breaking in. You don't want to make me do this, Adrian. I'll open the door if you calm down. Adrian tried to sound strong, but she knew she didn't. You're only making this worse for yourself. Please. Adrian heard the fear in her own voice. Open the door before I blow your head off. Adrian put the phone to her cheek, surprised to find it slick with tears. 433 West 62nd Street. My girlfriend's going to kill me. She didn't wait for an answer or linger on the mangled sound that was her voice struggling through the tears and her damaged throat. She set the phone down behind the toilet where Gianna wouldn't notice it and left the line open. Gianna slammed into the door again. The wood was cracking, surrendering to her weight. Adrian, Gianna screamed. If you don't open this door right now, I swear I'm going to beat your face in. Adrian heard herself crying, again feeling her body was someone else's. Her voice wasn't hers. Her hands weren't hers. The aching in her chest wasn't hers. This life wasn't hers. I'll go ahead and wow. 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 That's intense. Very Oops. nice. Very good. <laughs> you think? Very good. Very good. Well, very good. Uh, well very that's good. good. Well, there we go. See? Well, yeah, and I guess and you I should have, have done a, the I story. See, you made the right no, decision. You made the right decision to do the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, thank you Very both good. for coming on, and I definitely hope you'll come on again. And it's been a lot of fun, and um, learned a lot. It always, it's yeah, always, always good do. when you learn. Always do. Yes, it is. All right, and thank you all, and you know, good luck when your book is coming out June June first. I think I read June first. Yeah, June first on the Bold Stroke site, and uh, June twelfth everywhere. Okay. Good. Very good. Okay. All right. All, All right. Well, so good luck with the publisher and keep going. And Jack, thank you so much it's, once again. And thank you all for listening. Yeah. Always all right. it is. It's so much fun always. You learn so much. All right. Thank you so much. Yep. Have a good night. Right. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thanks. Bye. Bye bye. Take care. Bye bye. <laughs>